Good afternoon and welcome to another TRC broadcast. I'm your host, Bishop R.D. McLeod, and I'm excited that you're here with us again. Uh, the Word of God, how many of you know, is just so, so powerful. How many of you know how needed it is for us today? I just want to uh, take a few moments today. I'm going to do my best to be relevant, not to be overly preachy or come off at you at, from a religious standpoint. Uh, some of you don't know when you hear religious, people say, I'm religious. Well, you know, the scribes and Pharisees were religious. But, you know, Jesus, Jesus was a believer. He believed the Father. We believe him. Amen. So I just want to talk with you, share a few things with you that uh, may make some sense as to where you are in your life, what is happening in your life. And I believe that this is a timely message. Um, for those of you who um, encouraged a part two, well, I prayed about it and the Lord began to show me some things that he wanted me to share and I had left out. So we're going to do a part two, but we're going to come from a totally different aspect. So without any further ado, I want you guys to just sit back, have your whatever you use to take notes, because it's going to be worthy for you to go back over it again. And so you can retain the Bible says, receive the engrafted word with meekness, which is able to save your will, your mind, your emotion, your soul. Amen. So today we're going to be talking again about the Trojan horse. The turning point of the battle. Trojan horse, turning point of the battle. Now, when we say Trojan horse, many of you remember just a little brief foundation that we talked about it. Uh, and it was relevant to the Greeks and they was in this Trojan War. The Trojan War lasted more than 10 years uh, until one morning the Greek uh, army decided to retreat and when they did they let the enemy see them leave leaving a large wooden horse at the gate of the city of Troy which they were trying to overcome and we know the story as we established last time that they came out and they decided we're going to take this horse on the inside as a trophy not knowing that the horse had uh a, a great uh, um, army of men on the inside, which in fact, we know the story. They began to open up the city, open up the city gates, and then they overthrew the city. So we were talking about the Trojan horse, the turning point. And we were talking basically about the anatomy of a crisis. So in the last lesson, we begin to discuss the significance of a hidden opportunity that is within any given crisis. Now, a crisis, listen to this, this is going to help you. A crisis is defined as a time when a difficult or important decision must be made in the midst of some chaotic, some chaotic situation. Now, for you, what does that mean? You might be in the middle of a battle right now. You might be in the middle of a struggle right now. You might be in the middle of some uncertainties right now. 
And many times there are decisions that we should make all along that we won't make until we get into a crisis. And then our hand is forced. And then we will begin to have to try to uh, come out of this crisis, try to uh, overcome these odds. And it forces us to make decisions that we wouldn't have made before. Say, for instance, you know that you should save, but you get into a situation where there maybe your car uh, knocks off on you and you don't have a way to work. Well, you look at it then, your hand is forced. Now you are having to make a move and involve your finances into a situation and you have to cut out some of the, the, um, the delicacies. You have to cut out some of the, 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 the novelty. You have to cut out some of the joyous things that you were using it for and you would have to take it now and use it for an automobile which is your way back and forth to work. See, certain crises will cause you to have to change how you think about things, change how you do certain things, cause you to double up, you know, or double down as it, as it were. So just as there's opportunity within any given crisis, you have to understand it is determined by the ability uh, to make a difficult, important decision right in the midst of that crisis, a make or break moment, as it were. You know, how many of you had those make or break moments? It's like, hey, if I don't do the right thing right now, if I don't turn this thing around right now, I'm in for a sudden defeat, sudden destruction. And then you do things that maybe you should have done all along. Well, let me tell you something. When that happens, this ultimately becomes the turning point within the crisis that will change the whole course of the battle. This is the turning point. Some of you are there now. Some of you uh, maybe have ignored the important decision. Some of you may have ignored, ignored, excuse me, the red flags. But I'm telling you, sooner better than later, you must make that important decision. You must make that difficult decision. Many of us got saved that way. I can remember myself, uh, life just became boring. And I felt like Paul, I felt like chief among sinners and things just got so bad. And I was in the middle of a crisis. And at that point, I ran out of answers. You know, sometimes we have too many answers. And when we have too many answers, we prolong our agony. <laughs> and I ran out of answers. And so what happened? I basically said, well, you know what? Lord, I have done all I know how to do. I've tried my best to avoid what I know is right. I'm asking you now, change my life most important decision that I ever made or you will ever make. And from that day to this day, it has been totally different. I'm not telling you that I haven't had challenges, but I am saying in the middle of that crisis, there was an important decision that had to be made. Some people never made that decision. Some people never lived through their crisis. 
because they did not make that decision. They procrastinated even in the face of certain and uh, change, but they procrastinated. So we're going to talk about something this morning. We're going to look at a crisis. We're going to break it down and see the anatomy of the crisis and identify the turning point. This might help you identify with your situation. This might make you uh, see it more clearly. You know, the Bible says we look through a glass darkly. And many times we don't see the image as it is. We see sometimes a figment of our imagination, but 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 we don't necessarily see the truth that is that is that is speaking to us. Go with me, if you would, to First uh, Samuel, First Samuel, chapter thirty. Very familiar scriptures. We've talked about this before. Um, you may have read this on your own. Uh, but we're going to we're going to break this down. We're going to talk about some things here. First Samuel chapter 30. And let's start at verse one. The Bible says, and it came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziglag on the third day. That the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziglag had been smitten. Ziglag and it was smitten and burned with fire. Now, it says the third day, uh, looking at this in study, David and his men were able to go at least about 25 miles a day. And they were coming from the north back to Ziglag. So it was like a three-day journey in order to get there. Um, the Bible says in verse 2, and it had... Uh, Ziglag was smitten and taken with fire and had taken the women captive and there were therein. They slew not any, either great or small, but carried them away and went on their way. And the Bible says, and so verse three, so David and his men, when they came to the city and behold, it was burned with fire and their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captive. Now, I want to stop for a minute to uh, point out something as far as it's concerned. David arrived back to Ziglag. Let's just get a little backdrop. And he arrived tired, hungry, expecting all the comforts and the welcome of home. He was looking for uh, the customary people that would run out and meet him when he would come back from battle. But he saw none of that. And in a distance, he began to see smoke, but it wasn't smoke like someone was cooking. It was smoke. And he knew that the billowing smoke was probably had to do with something of a, a, a tragic nature. And so his greatest fears were realized when he got close to the city and he saw that the city had been burned. Now, this lets you know that a crisis has no time stamp on it. A crisis can come into your life at any given moment. A crisis can come from one moment to another and turn what looks like day to, to night. And what happens is our ability to handle the unexpected sometimes determine 
whether we are able to 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 rationalize enough to get through it. See, because there's always one thing you can be guaranteed of in your life is that something unexpected is going to happen. So when David and his men were gone, here's another part of the story. They were trying to join the Philistine army. And their own city of Ziglag was left unguarded. Sounds like many times when we as believers decide to venture back out into the world. See, the Philistine army, remember when David had to fight Goliath and he made the statement? He said, I fought the lion and I fought the bear. This uncircumcised, which means someone that did not have a covenant, which, you know, from uh, a parallel would be the world. This uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them. So David, at this point in his life, had gotten away from hearing the voice of God. You know, it's kind of like in this pandemic when people were left to themselves and left to their own um, ability to walk with God, to pray. And they didn't get it like a Pop-Tart. You know, you just go to church and the preacher give it to you. Many times you had to get up, you had to pray, you had to study, you had to seek God for you, you had to seek God for your family. And many people had not developed those habits. And so David was in uh, a backslidden condition. I'll show you this in just a few minutes. The very fact he was trying to join the Philistine army, he left. His, his duties at home. And many times we do that. We left all of our duties during the pandemic. Let me tell you something. Let me just say it this way. And I want you to just think about it yourself. Judge yourself, no matter what church you go to. During the pandemic, I was a, a bishop when we was in church. I had to remain a bishop. You follow what I'm saying? The pandemic didn't stop me from doing what I was called to do. If you were a greeter, you should be actively greeting online. Church didn't stop. And neither should our assignment stop. If you was an usher, then you should be actively trying to establish order for the church that we're going to go back to while we're online. If you were, see, you enjoy the praise team singing on Sunday, on Sunday. Well, that didn't stop. They were singing when we were in church. Do you see what I'm saying? What are we doing now? We're still in church. See, the pandemic does not give you a reprieve from your assignment to God. But most people took it that way. Well, we're not in church now, so I don't have to do this. I don't have to do that. And many people didn't pray and say, Lord, what do I do now? How do I modify my assignment based off of what's necessary now? So I'm not really going to get all on that, but I think you get the message. Nothing was supposed to stop. Your assignment doesn't stop. If you wanted to go to heaven before the pandemic, you still want to go. Okay, well, somebody just this is a good time to stop right quick and say he's preaching already. 
And now you may not want to hear it, but that's how the truth comes at us. It's the truth regardless to whether we want to hear it or not. Now, David was trying to join the Philistine army and some of us have left the church and we've taken up some of our old habits. Some of us are back out in the world. Some of us back out partying again. Some of us, and, and, and this, get this, as soon as we come back to church, we'll step right back in the building and try to resume our functions as though nothing has changed when our reality is at an all-time low. Listen, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that's how we need to be. The same yesterday, today, and forever. Moving right along. So let's 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 continue to read because there is more I want to bring out in this story. The Bible says, so David, verse 3, uh, uh, and his men came to the city and it was burned with fire. And all of his sons, his wives, their daughters were taken captive. And the Bible says, and then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and they wept until they had no more power to weep. Now, here I want you to know something because sometimes this, I don't know, David being in his backslidden condition brought some of the old laws back on his life. You can do that too. When you go back to doing things you used to do, some of the things that used to come on your life will come back on your life again. Now, you got to understand something, and I'm going to read the scripture, and I want to show you something. As a matter of fact, I think I'll read the scripture first, and then I will elaborate on it. Uh, if you will look at First uh, Samuel chapter 27, um, and I want to read this and explain something to you. First Samuel uh, chapter 27. Let's look at verse 8. And David and his men went up and invaded the Geshurites. And the uh, Jezerites and the Amalekites. Here's talking about David prior to this. He went up, he invaded all of them. And the Bible says, and it, and it goes on to say, For the nations were of old the inhabitants of the land, as thou that goest to shore, even unto the land of Egypt. And the Bible says, And David smote the land and left neither man or woman alive. And took away the sheep and the oxen and the asses and the camels and the apparel and returned and came to Achish. Now, here we see David at this particular time, he bought calamity on other cities. Just like when he left and tried to join the world and left his post unguarded, the enemy came in and did to him what he had done to other people. But see, here's the difference. He made a living as a bandit, robbing cities. And wherever he attacked the land, he left neither man nor woman alive. Now, let me show you something. The Bible says in Psalms 103 and verse 10 that God has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. This is what it's saying. Even though David, deserved even worse because he had done it. He had sowed the seed. 
They took his family away, but it didn't say that they killed him. See, that's what David did. That's exactly what he what he did. He killed everybody, left nothing alive. He trashed the place. And now while he was off somewhere playing in the world, the enemy sneak attacked him from the back door and did the same thing to him that he had done to others. Returning discouraged, David looked forward to coming home and resting. And David at this point entered a crisis. He entered a crisis. And I'm telling you right now, sometimes when you get too free and carefree and you forget all about God and you forget about, see the Bible says in Psalms 103, it says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgive it all thine iniquities and healeth all thy diseases. He crowned thee with love and kindness so that thy youth is renewed like the eagle. And see, the, God has done all of these good things to us, but we forget. We forget. We're like those 10 lepers. We say that we want to be the one that comes back and tell God, I, you know, I, I'm so grateful for what you've done to me. But we end up being like the nine. If you give us just enough time to separate ourselves, we forget what God has done. We forget how he has blessed us. We forget. Are you listening to what I'm saying? We forget. And right now, I want to stir up your remembrance. Has God been good to anybody out there? We say it as a cliche. But has God been good to you? Have you forgotten is it out of sight and out of mind? Let's continue to move on. At this time, this is where David found himself. Let me continue to read this because it, 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 it bears to note. There are some similarities that we can deal with. And the Bible says, going back to uh, chapter 30, the Bible says, then David and the people lifted up their voice and they wept until there were no more power to weep. You know, that's something. Whenever you have cried until you have no more power to weep, all of your tears are gone. And all you, you kind of like those kids when those kids get, get that whooping. And, you know, you remember when you got that whooping back in the day and you were screaming and yelling and then they kept laying it on you. And all of a sudden, all you had was action. You were just... <laughs> there was no more sound. They took your sound effects. They took they took everything. You know, some of your kids get it now. But you remember when you got it. David, the Bible says he wept until there was no more power to weep. There were no more tears. Are you listening? And then the Bible says, and David, his two wives were taken captive, a Hinoan and of the Jezreelites, Jezreelitis and Abigail, the wife of Nabal, the Carmelite. And David was greatly distressed for the people spake of stoning him because the soul of the people was grieved and every man for his son and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the, in the Lord, his God. Now, here I want you to know because uh, this is where you can come to at this point. All of David's support was gone. All of the things 
that he had leaned on. All of the things when he was out there in the world and he had forgotten the Lord thy God. All of the people that he was running with. All of the people that he thought had his back. And I think it's Psalms 42 or 142. Uh, it might be 42 that says, no man careth for my soul. David knew what it was like to feel abandoned. He knew what it was like for everything he trusted in and everything he leaned on to turn and walk away from him. And many times we don't ever come and make an important decision until all the crutches of our life fall down, until all of the support that we have believed in and trusted in is gone and abandoned us. There is nothing left. At this time, David knew Israel couldn't help him. Why? Because David was trying to join the enemy. He was out in the world. He was in a backslidden condition. He knew that the Philistines didn't want him because, listen to me, and I'm going to show you an act of God. When David tried to join the Philistine army, they rejected him. And that's what the world will do to you. You think you can buddy, but you can't. No, you can no longer be a good sinner. Because if your nature has been changed, you can no longer be as ruthless as you used to be without conscience. Because now the spirit of God is on the inside of you, even though he may be suppressed. You can't be a good sinner anymore. And whenever the, 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 the things turn against you, the Philistines rejected him like the world will do. The same thing they did to Judas when they gave him the money to betray Christ. And then he took the money back to him. They ridiculed and they talked to him and they rejected him. They turned their back on him. So the Philistines didn't want him. But that was God. Do you realize as far away from home, a three days journey, trying to join the Philistine army, had they received David, look how long it would have been before he came back to Ziglag. Look how long it would have been before he discovered that his wives were gone. Maybe at that point, they may not have been just taken captive. They may have been slaughtered. The very fact that the Philistines rejected him was the hand of God. See, we don't understand sometimes when we think that our card has played out. We don't know that God is trying to deliver us from ourselves. Man, I'm telling you, you got to get this. So the Philistines didn't want him. His family was gone. Everything that he owned was gone. And then the last uh, nail in the coffin, his friends turned against him and spake of stoning him. See, it's under pressure when you find out who your real friends are. You know, you heard of fair weather friends. Everybody is your friends when things are good. Everybody is your friends when you agree with them. Everybody is your friends when you buddy up with them. Everybody is your friends. Amos 3, 3 says, how can two walk together except they be friends? <laughs> Are you listening to what I'm saying? But when this situation turned and they entered into a crisis, David was forced to make some quality decisions because had he made the wrong decisions? What if he had gotten Brody on these guys that wanted to kill him and say to them, 
Look, when I was in the cave back there in Hebrew, nobody asked you to come back here where I was. You were looking for me. I wasn't looking for you. You come up in here telling me you needed some help. You wanted to be encouraged. I didn't ask you to come. You could have stayed where you was. They would have hit David in the head with a brick. <laughs> See, that was the wrong decision to make in a crisis. That was a fleshly decision to make in a crisis. But you know what David did? David had to look past this situation. He had to look past them. All he had left in this crisis was God. Maybe that's where you are. All you got left is God. Do you realize that? You out here trying to get everybody else to help change the course of your life. You out here trying to get everyone else. You're depending on everybody else. And God is saying, I am here. What are you going to do? He said, and David said, I will listen. I will look to the hills from whence cometh my help. My help comes from you, God. I realize I have nothing without you. I realize I'm nothing without you. See, some of us hadn't gotten to that point yet. We are not to that point in the crisis or we don't realize that we are to make that quality decision. What would you do in this predicament when all is gone? Some of you said, I will seek God. You're in that situation now and you haven't seen, you haven't sought him. And what are you going to do in your own predicament? Are you going to learn from this? Are you going to realize God is all I have? God is all I need. David, at this point in his life, he was he was backslidden. He was greatly distressed. He was emotionally spent. <laughs> Lord have mercy. He was emotionally spent. David was now completely broken. Completely broken. And you know, you can't get grape juice out of a grape until it's crushed. And many times until we are to a broken state, we won't realize what we need. He was now in need of a turning point. The psalmist said, turn my captivity. Many of us need that right now. We need our captivity turned. We need God to turn it. You're one good decision away from a breakthrough. One good decision. Stop fighting it. Stop fighting God. Stop fighting your destiny. Stop fighting it just to be comfortable. There, there are no more answers. See, this is a man. This was the strength of the living God making itself real in the life and the heart of a hurting man. This man was, was, was destitute. This man was hurting. This was the strength of recognition. This was the strength that when he encouraged himself, this was the strength for the brokenness. This was the strength for repentance. See, you have to have the strength for repentance. You don't repent just because you want to. 
See, the Bible said it is the goodness of the Lord that will lead me into repent. It's not so much what has happened to you. It is what God kept from happening to you. It is the goodness of the Lord that lead me into repentance. This was the strength for determination to win back what the enemy had stolen. Are you sick and tired of being sick and tired? Did you get angry enough to want back what the enemy took from you? Did you get angry enough to stop making excuses? Did you get angry enough to stop pointing the finger to someone else? Did you get angry enough to realize that all of the fault is yours for what you are in? All of the fault was mine. All of the fault was yours. Did you get angry enough for that? Because until you do, you like the prodigal son. You'll waste your substance and your fate on riotous living. And then you will finally come to a place of recognition where you say, you know what? Even the hired servants in my father's house is living better than me. I shouldn't be living week to week like this. I shouldn't be living from paycheck to paycheck. I shouldn't be living in the struggle. And I'm a child of God. All of this shouldn't be happening to me. And he said, you know what? I will turn and go back to my father. And I will tell him, father, I have sinned. Are you to the place? where you recognize and you got the strength to repent because it takes strength to repent. Because as long as you got an option, you will take it. As long as you got an avenue, you will take it. As long as you got a way out, you will take it. But you got to have strength to repent, to go back. The Bible says here that God sent him back home. He was rejected by the Philistines. And listen to me, and I'm going to say this, and I know I got to finish. I want to read something in 1 Samuel 27. I want to read something, and I want you to take this to heart. I want you to allow this to speak to your soul. 1 Samuel 27. See, I'm going to tell you what got David in this problem. This is what David got David into this problem. This is what has gotten us into ours. 1 Samuel 27. And the Bible says, uh, uh, verse 1, listen to this. And David said in his heart, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. And there is nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape into the land of the Philistines. Stop. David said in his heart. Saul is after me. He's trying to kill me. God never told me to turn back to the world. I chose that. I said that within my heart. Remember the woman with the issue of blood? She said in her heart, if I but touch the hem of his garment. What David said in his heart is what got him in trouble. It's not what someone else said. It was not what someone else did. It's what David said in his heart. And when David came to the place where all that he had had abandoned him, he said within his heart, I must go and seek God to find a way out of this dilemma. God, let me tell you something. Be careful what you say in your heart. Be careful. He ran to the enemy to escape from God. All he had to do, he was called to be king of Israel. Why are you in, in the land of the Philistines? That's not where you're going to be king. Why are you at the club again? Why are you at the party again? 
Why are you smoking weed again? Why are you doing that? That's not what God told you was your destiny. But you said within your heart, this is all I got left. Let me tell you, this is something that was said by uh, Spurgeon. He said, he who speaks to everybody else except himself is a great fool. He who speaks to, see, we got the, uh, we, we'll speak to everybody. We'll talk to everybody about our situation. But when you don't speak to yourself and rehearse the promises of God, what you say to yourself may cause you to defect. That hopelessness, that voice on the inside that tells you there's nothing else, tell you you should make this move and you know that's not God. What you say to yourself can deliver you or put you in bondage. I got to finish. So the Bible says, and, and let me parry and quickly do this. Uh, Jesus, I, I know I don't have a lot of time left, but you, you got to get this because this is so powerful. This really tells us what God is trying to say. The Bible says, and when David encouraged himself in the Lord, David began to re remember the lion. He remembered the bear. He remembered Goliath. See, that's what you need to do to come out of your stuff. You need to remember when you was at your all-time low and God delivered you. You've forgotten about that. That's why it's so easy to defect. You've forgotten. And the Bible says, and David said to Abathar, the priest, Amalek's son, I pray, bring me hither the ephod, the ephod. And Abathar brought thither the ephod of, of, to David. This was the ephod of the high priest. I'm going to tell you something about that too. And David inquired at the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue after this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for thou shalt surely overtake them, and without fail recover all. Here's some encouragement to you. David was in a backslidden condition when he decided to inquire of the Lord. The effort that he had, Oh, this is going to be so sweet to you right here. The ephod that David had, when he said, bring me the ephod, it was a special apron that the priests, and I'm sure this was the one of the high priests, they would wear. So when they did the sacrifice, uh, uh, it would cover their clothing. Listen to this. So the sacrificial blood would splash on the ephod and not on their clothing. The ephod represents the thing that received the sacrificial blood. See, when you place yourself back under the hand of God, you come back under the sacrificial blood. You come back under the blood that Jesus shed for you. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. You place yourself back up under the blood. The life of the body is the blood. You place yourself back under the covenant, the blood covenant. David said, I'm, I'm tired of being out here, filled with my own decisions. He said, bring me the ephod, because I'm getting ready to sacrifice to my God. And I know the blood is going to fly, and it's going to cover me. And I'm going to prepare to be covered by the blood of the sacrifice. If you're out there right now, put down that weed. 
If you out there right now, put down the alcohol. If you out right out there right now, cancel that party. Get away from those people that's not trying to go where you are trying to go. And get back up under the blood. Because when you are not under the blood, anything can and will happen to you. Go back and remember when you when the devil told you it was over. And God, God came in and pulled you out by the hands of mercy. Remember, he have not dealt with, he have not dealt with us according to our sin, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. I'm closing. <coughs> Excuse me. During his backsliding state, he made his own decisions. But when he uh, inquired of the Lord, this was the turning point in his crisis. This was the thing that turned in his crisis. When he sought the Lord, this was the turning point. Have we repented and submitted to God? Or are we still stacking our own decisions? If you're still stacking your own decisions, you have not re reached the turning point. I close with this. The Lord is saying to you right now, who's going to lead you? He that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the spirit shall reap life everlasting. He said, I didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through me might be saved. I'm talking to you who have defected during this time. If you, whatever God called you to do, he didn't give you a reprieve. The gift and callings of God are irrevocable. It's time for us to double down. It's time for us to clamp down. It's time for us to go back and serve the living God. Is he leading you now or are you still stacking your own decisions? This thing is not going to change until you reach the turning point. If you look at it from a medical situation, the turning point in a crisis is the point. Look it up. It's the point where you either start with the recovery process or you enter the decline toward death. That turning point in a crisis is where you either get worse or you recover. God is going to call us back together in the natural. Don't step fresh out of the world trying to operate in the things of God because you will be the only one to know that you are not under the blood. It's time for us to get serious. Get serious with where you are. Get serious with what God has said to you and what he has made you accountable for. Why are you struggling? The turning point. In your crisis is when you leave your own decisions and once again you're led by God. Are you still out there in the world? Are certain things happening to you out there in the world? 
could be God trying to send you back home. Not that he did it, but he can, he's an opportunist. He will use it because he wants to win you. Remember the Bible says, if your eye offend thee, pluck it out. It's better for you to enter into the kingdom of heaven, maimed, than to have all your faculties in good health and enter into a place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Look at someone and say, this one's for you. See, when we was out in the world, we said, this bud's for you, this word's for you. So, we thank God for the word of God. I hope that you heard it. I hope you were blessed by it. I hope that God does something with this. I pray, God, that you prick the hearts of your people because we know that we are on the timetable of God. Help us flow with you. Help us to analyze our situation and where we are and not allow this pandemic and the absence of in-person church to rob us of our destiny and neutralize our assignment. You said when you return to the earth, where shall you find faith? Who is still doing what you called them to do? Who is still doing their assignment faithfully? Who is still responding to you? We thank you for it, Lord. We are not serving the church. We are serving the living God and the church is the beneficiary. In Jesus' name. Hope this has been a blessing to you. I hope this word pricks your heart. Because that's the reason why I do this, is that someone hears the truth and want to change for God. So until we meet again, whatever you do, whenever you do it, stay faithful. Stay faithful as though nothing has happened. Ask yourself, am I as faithful as I was when people were looking at me? And whenever you do all of this... <laughs> You know that you are living your life to keep it real.